Okay, what's up, everybody? This is uh, Ryan Mullins. I am the CEO and the founder of Aglet, and welcome to another podcast, another edition here of Sneakers to the Metaverse. And today I've got one of my favorite writers online, Eric Peckham. Uh, welcome to the show, man. Hey, excited to join. Thank you. Cool. So I'm a huge fan of uh, you know uh, your your TechCrunch series. So we were just talking right you know right before we uh, start hit record, we were talking about how it was behind a paywall. But uh, you did this really amazing series on the metaverse. Uh, I guess that was like, how long ago was that? Question. I think in uh, February, March. Yeah, I think exactly. And I don't know, when I read that, I was like, damn, here's, you know, because I was sort of surveying the space, like, okay, this is the space that I'm interested in. And here's like, you know, five or six other people who are also exploring it. And I felt like you were definitely one of the, one of the people that has a position on it, actually. And it's not just kind of like a curiosity, this metaverse thing, spatial internet, but like you actually had a position and could foresee, uh, not foresee, but sort of um, sort of feel intuitively like where it's going. Um, but uh, before we get into that, maybe you could uh, tell, uh, tell the listeners a little bit about, about yourself. I just revealed you wrote it, TechCrunch, but now you've kind of moved on from that. So maybe tell us a little bit about uh, where you're from, what, you know, what, what you're doing and how you got into, into, into writing and tech. Yeah. I, um, you know, I, I grew up in the Boston area and then, um, after college jumped into the startup world, had a mix of different roles in the startup world from working at startups, working at a VC firm, um, across a number of different industries, ed tech and media and other things. And then, uh, got pulled into TechCrunch a couple of years ago as they were getting ready to launch the uh, new subscription tier, Extra Crunch, um, and joined them as their media columnist to you know focus on all things future of media, entertainment, gaming, um, and you know one of the the kind of series of projects that I did within my time at TechCrunch was these deep dives into specific companies, uh, larger tech companies, and one of them was Unity. Uh, the most used game engine in the world and, you know, a, a key player in, in some of the changes we're talking about. Um, and diving into the technology they've built, how game developers are using it, how it's being applied across different industries was this incredibly exciting wake up to me about what's happening and what's coming down the pipeline um, for not just kind of gaming and entertainment, but really much more broadly, uh, you know, kind of the new paradigm of, um, digital media and, and kind of human interaction, you know, online. Um, and yeah. so that sparked this whole deeper dive into gaming and, you know, the metaverse multiverses kind of growing, socializing, uh, on online games. Mm. And so, yeah. um, you know, the series I wrote was part of just an expression of, um, being excited to write about it and, and too excited to keep it to one post. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, did you it, kind of uh, have it as one post and then all of a sudden it just kind of like exploded and you just couldn't stop writing? The David Foster yeah, Wallace you know, it's, it's the sort of thing where it's the more, the more questions you ask, the more questions you, you come up with, right? And so yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, there's so many components to this, which I think is exciting. And, and part of what I tried to do is get past some of the um, more simplified hype around the metaverse or oh, the metaverse is coming and really try yeah. to understand what has been changing um, across social media and gaming? You know, what are we talking about in terms of a vision of the metaverse? And um, you know, what are all the components that go into 
getting there? And where do we actually stand now? I don't think, um, despite a lot of the kind of uh, press hype at the moment, that yeah. we're that close to the metaverse, at least in the way it's kind of traditionally framed in science fiction and going back to Neil yeah. Stevenson books. But um, I think it's very clear we're already well underway in this transformation headed that direction. Yeah, I think two two things are to blame probably for the kind of sort of the, uh, what, what I want to say, sort of the, um, this kind of the, the buzzword notion of it, of the, of the metaverse, like anybody can sort of build a startup and then like you kind of call it the metaverse or something. Um, so it becomes kind of one of those like, you know, it's like AI or big data, AI, <laughs> this kind of thing, metaverse. Um, and so instead you kind of have, there was a great article by, I forgot his last name, Adam something, but he had a really great article as well. What he was talking about, you know, okay, we don't have the metaverse, but we kind of have these sort of proto metaverses. We have like the seeds of, you can start to tease out and maybe infer what, what the metaverse would look like. Should it, you know, should it exist? Um, and I think two, two things are kind of to blame. I think one is, you know, as my, I mean, I you know love the book and I actually really liked the movie as well, but like Ready Player One um, and the Oasis and, and sort of the, the metaverse as kind of this, this, you know, virtual world or this virtual simulated world where you, that you escape into, uh, you know, through, you know, VR. So sort of that VR world that you go to. And then what the second thing was, was COVID. It's like, you know, all of a sudden we're hit with this pandemic and now you have all these, you know, entrepreneurs, innovators trying to then come up with companies that, that create virtual spaces uh, that we can, you know, hang out in, we can buy virtual goods, we can do all these things. Um, and so like those two things coming together along with some other smaller things, of course, but like, it seems like that really propelled people to start exploring it and sort of almost resurrected the concept of the metaverse, which you mentioned Neil Stevenson, that's a 19, you know, 96 or whatever, 93 book, I think it is. Um, so it's like, it's not a new concept, but what's happened is that we're getting this trajectory of trends and then couple that with, you know, a pandemic. And then now you've got this curious people that start writing about it. And you've got some startups also looking to create in that space. Um, that's kind of how I see the, the reemergence of this as a topic. Um, and I've actually gone back and started reading a lot of like mid nineties literature on like, you know, the, the development of the, of the inter information highway and, you know, the, the web and like seeing the optimism and sort of the hope that people had then and, you know, contrasting that with this kind of dystopian take that everybody has now, it's actually refreshing to go back and read some of that stuff. Um, but anyway, maybe that's a good, a good segue then is to maybe talk about the article that the articles that you wrote Matthew Ball's article was was quite good. He kind of takes this more via negativa approach where he kind of tells you what the metaverse is not. Um, and then he kind of gives you, here's like, you know, some properties of the metaverse, but then he kind of says, nobody really knows, you know, what it's going to be, but here's some of the necessary features it would have. Maybe you could tell us a little bit like your perspective on what it is and, and or what it could become. Yeah, I mean, the, the first... The intro article to my series was titled A Multiverse, Not the Metaverse, um, yeah. which summarizes a bit of my perspective here, which is, you know, 
to the extent there's agreed upon science fiction definition of the metaverse, um, you know, presented like in Ready Player One, um, I think A, that's very far away. B, I'm skeptical that um, that will ever happen. Um, and it's something that kind of humans actually want. Um, yeah. And so I think we need to separate some of the, the science fiction vision of the future from what's taking place now. And it's happening rather than a metaverse where, you know, your avatar, your digital goods, et cetera, carry with you throughout all these different virtual realms. Um, mm. You know, I think what we have now is an ever growing sphere of all these different types of virtual worlds and spaces where, you know, for the foreseeable future, they'll each be relatively siloed. Um, and I think, you know, there will be some consolidation there as, you know, some of them partner together and kind of create um, standards for interoperability as, you know, some of them just get acquired as companies and, and kind of rolled under uh, one roof. Um, mm-hmm. And then obviously looking at platforms for user-generated games, um, particularly Roblox or yeah. Minecraft, um, new ones like Manticore's core gaming, um, you know, these kind of underlying platforms that everyone is building games on top of. Um, so anyway, I, I think we're early in this um, mm. and it, it's tough to say exactly what will happen. But what I tried to break down is looking at gaming and aspects of social media um, step by step, how that's likely to change over the next few years, whether yeah. it's, you know, the, the kind of social interactions and the ways we're interacting, the issues of fake news and sensationalism and, and a lot of what's being talked about more broadly in social media right now, um, you know, kind of how AR and VR fit in, how digital goods and virtual economies fit into this. So mm. there are a lot of different components that all collide. And I tried to break it down uh, one yeah. by one. Yeah, that's what I liked about the piece was the idea of kind of a, a multiverse of almost like a multiverse of metaverses, essentially. It's like a, you have a bunch of different virtual worlds that are, I mean, that's kind of one view. It is sort of the Everett multiverse view. And then you kind of have, you know, the other view, which seems to be Tim Sweeney's view a little bit, which is sort of that, like, kind of that oasis perspective of like, there's going to be an open metaverse um, and that's kind of where everything's going to happen. Um, and it sort of seems like that's a little bit naive, uh, maybe quite naive, <laughs> a little bit to quite naive. Uh, the idea that they're like, people are going to do that. I think you're already starting to see more and more of this. Like, I mean, the company that actually, that I, that I founded and, and, and running now, um, is trying to be, have a more open perspective, um, Whereas you're starting to see now a bunch of brands that are sort of building up their own games um, and then featuring their own assets, you know, in those game spaces. Um, and so is that sort of how you see it as well as kind of this bifurcation into kind of a more multiverse view of a bunch of different virtual worlds? And then on the other side, this kind of more, I don't know, utopian view perhaps of uh, like one, I guess, as the oasis, essentially? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, an important thing to recognize in, in terms of companies, particularly gaming companies, framing themselves as we are building the metaverse or we are going to be that oasis um, is the self-interest that comes from that, right? At the end of the day, they're yeah. a business and they're trying to raise lots of money from outside investors. They're trying to recruit top talent. And so 
um, you know, it's in their interest to do a lot of kind of PR hype around how they are the company that's going to define the future. Um, And I think Fortnite has done a very good job at that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think they are um, an exciting player in this ecosystem that's forming, shaping the future we're talking about, Um, but certainly not the only one or the only exciting one. Um, And and there are a lot of different components. I think one of the things I tried to um, highlight in my series, and it, it speaks to what you're doing at Aglet, is this isn't just about gaming, right? It, it starts to span much more broadly to mm. um, you know, a new conception of virtual worlds and virtual spaces. I think yep. the pandemic really highlighted the different conceptions of virtual worlds or online social lives. Um, you know, and one of the things that I talked about in the beginning of the series was um, kind of how gaming is becoming more social and social media platforms are becoming more gamified. And I think mm-hmm. it speaks to, uh, you know, when we think about a virtual world, I, I actually think there, there are two different things that we could be talking about there, which one is a virtual world in a very visually defined sense, right? You're in a game, you know, video games have had virtual worlds that you, you know, play in for mm-hmm. a long, long time. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of exciting technology and development and how those have evolved. Um, the other side is a virtual world just in the sense of kind of a, like another planet in a sense or, or community that exists online where mm-hmm. we socialize and care about who we are and mm-hmm. spend money on goods and services um, that, you know, I think links back ultimately to the real world just by nature of becoming popular, um, but is actually its own world. So I think mm. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, are virtual worlds. I think they've just become so mainstream and interconnected with you know, the, the kind of physical world, the real world that we don't think of them that way. But mm-hmm. you know, it's a space where you have your own crafted kind of physical uh, persona or appearance Right, it's you're you're choosing specifically the way you're portrayed there, um, the personality that you take on on social media, which for a lot of people is not the same as their kind of real world personality um, and lifestyle. Um, there's tons of people and companies spending money in one way or another on caring about social media. Right, it shouldn't matter how many followers you have or you know, all these sorts of stats and and mm-hmm. aspects of the social media ecosystem and yet um it does and there's billions of dollars spent on that right there's so much money spent on um, marketing through social media influencers right and it's yeah i think it goes back to this notion of well why do you care that they have a bunch of followers in this virtual space right that has no physical world representation um Mm -hmm. and it's because just by nature of that space becoming so popular you know people are are social and they care about in a social space, how they're framed, how they stack up against others. Um, there are people they turn to there, you know, for inspiration or influence. Um, and so all of a sudden, all these kind of digital aspects of how they look, how popular they are there um, become things they're willing to spend real money on. Mm. Um, and so I think those two areas will both um, in terms of conceptions of virtual worlds are both expanding separately, but also increasingly 
overlapping as games become more social and a lot of the social apps, the big companies are trying to get more into gaming. Yeah. I think I, I think I almost a hundred percent agree with that. It's um, I, I'm working on an article right now that's called uh, gaming is eating the world or why gaming is eating the world. So, you know, obvious play on the Andreessen, why software is eating the world. Um, and I was just thinking about two weeks ago, it's like, you know, damn, that's, that's almost a decade old now that paper. Um, and I, you know, went back and I reread it and I was like, uh, you know, it's actually everything that he's saying there is, is true. It's not like it needs updating because it's no longer true what he's saying. Um, but I do think it needs updating in the sense of, you know, well, what sort of like, what, what kind of application of software, um, is now eating the world. And the way that you just described it, the way that I'm thinking about it is that Twitter is actually a, a game. Um, Instagram is, is a game. Facebook is a game. Nike is a game. Um, they have these ecosystems that are essentially their worlds. Um, and this sort of the, almost like you know, everybody made fun of Apple for, for so long about this walled garden closed system, blah, blah. But now it's like, that's kind of what everybody's doing is building their own little virtual world, almost this own world where this is our ecosystem. And that is structured with sort of like, you know, game, it's structured game theoretically, you know, here are the rituals and the rules of the system here are the, and then you have the participants, which are like the fans of the brand and the consumers of the brand, but they're all, you're playing the Nike game, you know, you're playing the Twitter game, you're playing that game. And so my part of my kind of insight when, when, when thinking about, and, and then ultimately building Aglet was actually shopping right now for millennials and Gen Z is, is also a game, you know, it's like, it's just structured like one big game. So it's not that like video games are eating the world. That's not what I mean. That's sort of like trivially true that they're popular, they're growing, they're making a lot of money. Um, it's more that, it's more that, um, Almost every experience that we have now is an experience within a world, within a brand world, and that experience is structured like a game. Yeah, it has its own incentive structure. Exactly. Which drives um, behavior of a whole range. Yeah, exactly. And so why this gets really interesting for me is when you start thinking about um, – um, you know, Gen Z, let's say, and they've basically then grown up their whole lives now playing games. They're like the master gamers because literally every experience that they have is, is like, is, is a baked in game that they have to play. And when I start thinking about this, we don't have to explore this too much. We don't want, it's kind of a unrelated topic perhaps, but I start thinking about like rites of passage and how, you know, if you think about my parents, our parents' generation, I think you're probably same age as me, but like, if you think about our parents' generation, it was like, okay, how do you go from being a youth to an adult? It's like, maybe it was the military is kind of how you became a man, you know, for the woman at that time, unfortunately, you know, sort of like you got married, you know, the, the father gave you away to the husband at the, at the wedding. And then it's like our generation, it was more, you went to college, you went to university and you studied and you got a job and then you paid taxes and you got a house and you became an adult and responsible. And now we're in this place where 
there's sort of this cult of youth where everyone wants to to be young again. So like all the adults are obsessed with what kids are doing now in the, you know, among us on Twitch, they're all, everybody's like, what in the world's going on? Like, I want to be young again. And, and then you have young kids don't even really look up to older people. Like when I was a kid, I looked up to people older than me. Now you have young kids looking up to other ki young kids. That's their heroes or their, their same age, basically. And so now it's sort of like, what is that rite of passage to going from youth to adult and to bring it back to our conversation, it's sort of like now it's almost like learning how to play game, learning that every situation is structured like a game. And now it's almost like you become an adult by thinking and, and knowing how all these things are structured and then learning how to kind of hack that game to your own benefit. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, there's a social side to this and an economic side to it, right? Which is if we think back... Um, it would go back kind of whatever, three decades before online went mainstream, you know, socializing, having a presence online, et cetera, and e-commerce. Um, you know, the, the social game of a human was really the same as the generations before them, going back at least a few generations right. in terms of you know, the way social capital is accumulated in your community, right? Like who's popular, who's not, the benefits of that, um, you know, who makes money um, and, and kind of the control they have as a result from that. Um, things were fairly, like there's kind of a path set in front of you, right? And, you know, every generation of youth challenged that in different ways, obviously, um, but also saw kind of older people and people from the last generation um, who did things they wanted to do and kind of had the social capital they wanted the you know business success or whatever it might be um, and i think what's interesting now is the shift is so dramatic in terms of socializing online existing in gamified worlds for young people right i mean the majority of um kids in the 9 to 12 age group from the studies i've seen in at least the us and uk play minecraft um, and mm. Roblox, right? And that's an enormous amount of, of market penetration with an age group of just like a, a, a virtual realm in which they socialize that has mm. all its own dynamics and um, incentives as far as who's popular, who actually accumulates money and, and kind of success on the platform. And I think for a lot of people, a lot of young people see the changes happening you know, in terms of kind of these multiverses and a gamified digital future and recognize the dynamics are just completely different from the world, their <laughs> parents, or, or even in a lot of cases, kind of older siblings um, grew up in. And, yeah. you know, the rules in terms of like, hey, you can be 15 years old and, you know, make more money than your parents just because you've built really successful Roblox games or mm. all sorts of other um, yeah. digital experiences you know you can have you can be you can have kind of social capital amongst friends or amongst broader kind of community in terms of fame for doing things that kind of an older generation just doesn't understand the purpose of right like yeah. streaming yourself playing a video game <laughs> yeah and and so i think yeah. there's a whole new set of incentives that um you know people are organizing around 
Yeah. And I, 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 just, I just think that there's really something here in this analysis, because when I start talking, when I explain people what we do at Aglet, for example, and then I'll say, I mean, it's normal to me, but like, yeah, you know, somebody bought, you know, a pair of virtual sneakers for, you know, 500 bucks. And people will like lose their minds at that, like what, depending on how old they are. You know, if it's basically if you're like 35 and up, it's sort of my cutoff. Um, but people will freak out and be like, what? Like, how, how does that make sense? Like what? It's not even real. It's a fake. It's a fake shoe. Like it's you could buy and then they list a bunch of real things that you could buy with that. Um, and. I think just like that perspective is really interesting because it's, you know, what what you start to see with the emergence of virtual worlds and virtual goods and, you know, uh, streaming yourself playing a video game um, and that being like a legit, you know, position and in a, in a, a job that you can make kind of hella money do, uh, doing. But there is this flattening, sorry, it's sort of philosophically said this, but uh, philosophically said, but like there's a, there's a, a metaphysical kind of flattening that happens where the the imbalance before was that physical stuff is real and then this kind of virtual stuff is fake and it's not real and therefore not serious. It's kind of silly. And now what you've got is it's kind of like slowly going to where in, you know, in those three decades ago, if you met somebody online, you were probably a pervert or, you know, a loser was the idea. And now it's almost if you don't meet somebody online, you're a, a pervert or a loser. You know, it's like it's it's sort of flipped. And we're even getting to the point now, I think, where like, you know, goods themselves, products are for these for the younger kids. It's like totally normal to want to spend money on, you know, Fortnite skins and collect them. And so you've got complex sneaker shopping where people are dropping hundreds of thousands of dollars on a sneaker collection. But what I'm interested in seeing is like, who's got the dopest skins collection and seeing the way that people talk about it because they're not fake, they're real. They're just digitally real and they have utility in that world, yeah. um, which is the same reason why it's sort of like, you know, Beanie Babies, it's not really the Beanie Babies. It's more like the Beanie Baby in the world that becomes hyped up, you know? So you're actually investing in the world as opposed to just just the object, right? And so I think yeah. that's that's why I really enjoy this conversation is because we're getting at really generational um, mechanics almost of, of where things go and why you see younger kids saying, okay, boomer, or like, you know, making fun of this perspective is because like, oh, you don't even get it. And most of the media coverage about us, Gen Z, is written by a bunch of old people who look at us like an alien civilization and study us like an anthropologist would, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, I, 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 yeah. I, I think, I mean, to go to a, kind of an anthropology standpoint, look, I, I think at the end of the day, the biggest human need is a sense of belonging in a community, a kind of, you know, you're part of a tribe. Um, and there are a lot of things that stem off from that in terms of wanting purpose and kind of social stimulation, um, et cetera. But I think, you know, look at most of what people in at least kind of, you know, developed countries spend money on, right? And it's not about um, having absolute minimum 
basics to survive, right? There's a lot of money spent on having, well, it's not just to get any piece of clothing to stay warm, right? It's you want clothing that has certain style, it fits in a certain way, et cetera. You buy a nicer car, you like all these aspirations of you know, the last couple generations of consumerism, right? Of like, you're trying to achieve certain status in society, portray yourself in a certain way because you want to gain a certain social capital, right? You want to frame yourself yeah. as I'm this type of person in this type of tribe. I want other people like that to connect with me, um, to appreciate me. And so I think yeah, what's, what's just happening is if all of a sudden, you know, 50% of socializing and where you hang out and interact with other people um, is in a virtual realm instead of the physical realm, it's actually obvious that that psychology carries over, right? You care about how those people perceive you. You care about your status in that community. And so spending money in the same way for digital goods, um, you know, carries over there. And I, I think that is a, a big disconnect that seems obvious to a lot of young people and not yet obvious to um, older generations. Um, right. But I don't think, think it, it speaks to, and you were talking before about, um, you know, kind of social media um, as, um, I don't know, kind of how it has bridged to, what am I trying to say here? <laughs> To become, yeah. to, to kind of, I guess the generational difference and some of the impacts of like social media bridging into the real world, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I think yeah. one of the things that I brought up, particularly around the idea of virtual economy, but also kind of social media dynamics, fake news, et cetera, in my series was, um, you know, look at how social media rose up as, you know, this is something for kind of nerds and then college students because social media is growing on campuses mm -hmm. and not that important, um, you know, kind of a, a waste of time in some ways to spend so much time hanging out on social media, interacting there, um, you know, having fake friends, so to speak, or like only online friends. Yeah. Um, and fast forward a few years and we're in a moment, you know, we're less than a week before a presidential election in the US, but one of the biggest news stories and discussion points um, in the world the last few years has been around kind of the impact that the incentives of the social mm. platforms have had, right? Like to, to your point about them being games, um, mm. the dynamics of those games didn't just stay in those games because of the popularity yep. it shaped the actual real world. And I yep. think that's important to understand as we talk about what comes next is by nature of a Kind of virtual realm, whether it's in a game or kind of gamified social app, et cetera, by nature of it becoming massively popular, it inevitably intertwines with the real world. Um, yeah. The, yeah. you know, they're huge kind of social implications, right? The fact that you are really successful, you know, in a certain game or you know, as a streamer gives you actual kind of real world social credit. Um, you know, the political implications, which is what we're seeing a lot of social media of, hey, the way, you know, information is shared and kind of, you know, the politics that rise up in these virtual spaces actually shape the way people behave and vote in the real world. Yeah. Um, and the economics, right, of like money and, and kind of success built in these virtual realms translates to actual real world money. And I think yeah. this is where when we talk about the next paradigm of, 
um, virtual worlds in terms of these multiverses popping up that have, you know, so much more sophisticated virtual economies than, you know, kind of Facebook or Twitter, et cetera, because they're centered around digital goods that you can create, mm. buy, sell, right? They're like, you could create a whole ecosystem of just like services and um, kind of financial products within a virtual realm, right? Like in, uh, um, mm. in EVE Online, right? Like you can right. buy an insurance product to insure your spaceship, right? In case it gets yeah. destroyed. Um, it, it's truly a whole nother economy, right? That becomes so complex um, and fascinating, offers economic opportunity to people. And as that becomes ever more popular in the mainstream, that starts to carry very significant actual economic weight. Like a lot of people can yeah. make real money in these virtual realms. And the fact that those people are making so much money in these virtual realms impacts the real economy, right? That's money yeah. entering the real economy from these spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, and it's part of my, my belief, and I, I talked about this in the series of why, like the vision that you see in Ready Player One or these kind of sci-fi portrayals of metaverse where you have a dystopian real world and then people escaping to a more utopian virtual mm-hmm. world. Um, I see that as um, inaccurate or impossible in a way because inherently the success people have in that virtual world translates back into the real world. And these are all very interconnected, right? Yeah. The politics that plays out in a virtual world shapes politics in the real world. Um, and they're, you know, from a, a money standpoint, it's fascinating. I mean, one of the things games are dealing with right now is because money flowing through them, you know, them being used for uh, underage gambling, for money laundering uh, in particular, because it's kind of a black box you can move money through and it's not clear where it came from, yeah. where it goes out from. Um, and, you know, it actually starts to affect when you think about the virtual currencies of these different virtual worlds, um, you know, they have their own um, kind of balancing challenges, right? A lot of these games have economists and, and kind of their own internal mm-hmm. Federal Reserve Bank, basically trying yeah. to deal with inflation and deflation and control um, control the monetary supply. And that mm-hmm. ends up as they become more popular, directly kind of interfering with real world currencies, right? Let's mm-hmm. just say, there's a game that half of all people um, play that has its own currency, right? And people spend a lot of time there. So that currency actually matters in terms of getting a lot of digital items you want, getting sort of digital experiences you want. That is actually a very complicated threat to real world currencies and, the, and kind of government's control over those currencies. Because there's now this huge, this huge currency in across these countries that people are using and really value that the governments don't have any control over um, and can cause big problems in terms of inflation and deflation and, and all sorts of things. Yeah. And so there's actually just from kind of an economic standpoint here, I can nerd out becomes really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, the sort of challenges uh, that come with that. Right. I mean, yeah. a, a number of years ago um, in China on the, what was it? I think the QQ app. By Tencent, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, QQ had introduced a um, a currency, a kind of very simple currency. It was pegged on um, the yuan that 
you know, basically you could use for kind of improving your profile, your avatar, et cetera, on this messaging app. Um, the app became so popular that people in China started to use the QQ currency as something you could um, like pay for, for, you know, buying some apples yeah. or like actual real world products. Um, and the government stepped in and basically had to shut it down and, and kind of confine this a lot more because they were scared that it was um, skewing the actual currency yeah. in, in China and kind of yeah. losing control over it. So um, not spend too much time on this, but I think it, my point is just that the idea that the kind of people spending time in these virtual realms is detached from the real world, um, you know, looking back historically is false by nature of a virtual realm becoming massively popular. It basically merges into the real world. Um, and that is a place that matters in terms of our social lives, our politics, you know, our economy. Um, and that's really fascinating when we think about, you know, a multiverse, um, in mm. the years ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, this is why some of my podcasts turn into three hour discussions is because, you know, a lot of this really does get into, you know, when, when virtual and physical converge like that, and you do kind of get that, that blending or the, the sort of a trickle down or trickle into effect. And you start having those real world impacts like that. Most people do think that is sort of this separated world um, where all this kind of silly, not serious stuff isn't real. You're actually not realizing the, some of the danger or the consequences that can happen when it does sort of leak over there. Um, I think that's what we talked about uh, the first time that we ever talked. And, and, and um, I think we were talking about the Eugene Way article. Um, uh, so what is it? Status as a service. Um, and, and one of the things that I was getting at and why that article for me was very impactful was that the same. So if, if, if we say that everything is structured like a game, like these, there are these worlds and everything is, is, is game-like um, then the same basic, well, and they're implicitly games, right? People do, people are not interacting with Adidas with the explicit understanding that, oh, this is structured like a game, right? So there's this implicit game structure that sort of constitutes these, these uh, brand ecosystems. Um, and so, but what I, what I started to notice was that there's a really basic sort of underlying formula um, of these experiences, which is that it's all about capturing something scarce and then broadcasting that you've captured something scarce and then being able to turn that into, well, that kind of aggregates attention and then being able to um, convert that into social capital, which you've mentioned a few times, and then being able to convert that into financial capital. Um, and that's the basic kind of game loop for everything right now, which is, you know, it doesn't have to be a scarce it's not only a scarce product like a like a, a sneaker or a, a hoodie or you know a, a luxury item. It could be scarcity as in you know playing Fortnite better than anyone or having the dopest Twitch stream. You know, like it could be your personality. It's like my my personality is different than yours, so it's scarce. But then broadcasting that scarcity and then sort of following that the rest of that formula. That's sort of the basis 
of kind of everything that's that that's happening. Um, and that's, you know, that's essentially what I'm trying to figure out now is like, how do you, how do you use that for, for good, uh, in a way? Um, because it seems like everyone, it can go to really disgusting places, uh, that, that loop. Um, and so, yeah, again, I mean, we could, we could, we could go on on about this, uh, this for a while, but I think, uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I, I, I do think on one hand, um, there needs to be regulation of any kind of social and economic environments, right? And I, I don't necessarily mean kind of government regulation, but I think the platform um, that underpins mm. it has to have a rule set that, you know, it has to look at the incentives it's creating and how those can be um, kind of perverse incentives um, at times or how people can try and take advantage of that in a way that, ultimately becomes a negative for the overall ecosystem and the community. And so creating yep. rule sets within the platform, within the kind of the virtual realm um, to deal with that. Um, you know, I think kind of ultimately in a longer time period, there's actual real world government regulation needed kind of like what we're seeing with, you know, government waking up to the fact that social media is a gamified space and has a lot of problems with its incentives. Yeah. Um, you know, but I do think looking at the positive of this, you know, is in a world where, you know, people are born into very different circumstances in terms of kind of the economic opportunity they have in front of them. Um, there's a certain kind of level playing field in these kind of all sorts of different virtual realms where, mm -hmm. um, it's actually that much easier for anyone, whether, you know, they're a 14 year old um, from their room or they're 35 or they're 70 years old, right. To go in to participate in whatever the dynamics are of a given virtual world. And I think that's where it goes back to. It's exciting how many of these worlds are developing because there's kind of a space for different types of people. Um, you know, I, I think it offers economic opportunity to so mm -hmm. many people right? Of like now, you know, as long as you have a good enough, you know, internet connection, which isn't everyone still, but it's a large portion of the world, um, you know, and a device to take advantage of that, you can participate in these online realms. Like you can help, yeah. you, know, you could build Roblox games, you can, you know, kind of trade um, kicks on Aglet. You can like do all yeah. sorts of things um, that actually build that sort of like you accumulate a scarce resource or skill that are able to monetize that. Um, that's that's, that's exactly right. That's what I was getting at. Oh, sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. Yeah. No, that, that was the end of my point. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to say that's what I meant by that rite of passage is you learning the, the kind of the tricks of the trade. It's like, how do I, how do I support like being an adult? What does that even mean? It's kind of like, you know, getting to the point where I can support myself financially, you know, I can, whether, whether it's like get a house and I get married and I have kids and I can support them and all this other stuff. The, 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 the way of doing that is, has now has changed so much because anyone can do it regardless of age. If you can figure out and master the tools and the tricks of this new game. Right. And this is where uh, to go back to the beginning of the conversation uh, where you mentioned unity um, 
And then, you know, we've got Unreal as well. And then, you know, and you just mentioned, you know, the new economic opportunities or the new, let's say, labor opportunities or employment opportunities that will exist. Um, when I look at YouTube and I think, and I look at the very first video that was ever on YouTube and it was like some, you know, two megapixel camera video of like a lion at the zoo or something. It was like two minutes, you know, horrible video. But then you fast forward to like today and you've got this amazingly good content that's being created by quote unquote amateurs, you know, people who didn't go to film school, they didn't do some second directorship under some crazy director for five years or whatever. Like they're just picking up these cheaper tools now or inexpensive tools and they're just mastering it on their own and learning how to make extraordinarily high quality content and being innovative and, and, and there's newness there and originality and authenticity. I'm wondering if as things, if there is this multiverse of kind of metaverses and there's more opportunities to create virtual goods in these spaces, if Unity and Unreal will sort of become those tools that people have to sort of figure out how to use so that now anyone can create these virtual goods. You know, so if I'm, if I'm thinking like more of an AR future and, you know, let's say it's, let's just fast forward, it's 2024 or whatever, and I'm walking around with these glasses, but these are, you know, Apple's, you know, eyeglasses or whatever, right? And the, the phone's kind of the computational power source for these things. I'm walking around and then like, I'm sort of, I'm seeing the world, but now I'm seeing like some images that are augmented in that reality. Like who creates those? Um, who creates, you know, if it's the Oasis, who, who's going to create all those things that populate this world? And I actually think one of the really great economic opportunities is sort of UGC of virtual objects, you know, that, that you can use these new tools in Unity or, you know, Unreal and be able to create the objects that will then populate the world because the future is going to be physical and digital, you know, brethren and, and sistren sort of like occupying the same space time. You know what I mean? I think that's a, a huge new opportunity that will come for people making, you know, making revenues off of their creations like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the most valuable skills to have right now is, um, you know, to be a unity or unreal developer, because regardless of what your interests are, there's a huge need for it. And it could have both in terms of working at a big company or at an entrepreneurial level of, of building your own um, experiences, right? Whether you want to create games, you want to create films, you want to design airplanes for Boeing, um, all of these companies and kind of spheres are now using these game engines um, to design and simulate um, you know, products, content experiences, mm. et cetera. So I, I think it's a really exciting position to be in. I, I also think, you know, there's it's kind of a um, trend more broadly in technology unfolding um, around no code or low code um, platforms, which is enabling more people to create, even if they, you know, they're not a skilled developer. And I think it's interesting to think about the skill levels um, in terms of development capability as we 
are thinking about this future, right? And kind of who can participate in creating, uh, you know, different components of the multiverse. You know, I think there's going to be the game engine level of Unity and Unreal, which first and foremost is really about professional developers, you know, yeah. big companies. It kind of they're becoming easier to use, but they're not easy to use. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you have the level of like Roblox, for example, you know, much more simplified um, in terms of what you're doing, more template based, but you still have to do some coding. It's still, you know, an investment of your time um, for sure um, mm-hmm. to gain some skills and, and build something there. And then you, know, you have the layer above, which is like people who can create really quick, you know, filters on social media or like you know kind of like the the amount of time you have to invest is like five ten minutes right yeah. so to be able to yeah. do it um and i think all three of those levels are going to keep expanding and more people will take advantage of it i think what will be interesting is you know figuring out the extent to which do you really need to be at that base level of being a unity or unreal developer to build some of the key components of this future versus, um, you know, you're able to be farther up the stack, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do think there's sometimes a little bit too much focus on, um, the technical sophistication of a product or, um, mm. of like the graphics in a game that actually doesn't matter that much to yeah. consumers. Like I, yeah. You know, one of the things in thinking about like avatars uh, that represent us in these different virtual worlds, um, yeah, th- there's kind of a whole sphere right now very focused on, you know, how to make the most human looking avatars or one, you know, an avatar that's looks exactly like you do in the real world. Um, or, you know, an avatar, you know, kind of a perfect recreation of an actor or actress that can continue playing them in a film, even if they're not doing yeah. it. Um, I, I think that's interesting, but I also think it's actually not that important because um, in a way, like, you know, look at the emotional connection people feel with Pixar films, right? Like something doesn't need to be human in order for us to value it, to have an emotional connection to it. And I think um, it's actually much more about just, is this really creative? Is it, you know, crafted in an emotional way that people connect with? Does it kind of play to the right social dynamics? Um, Mm. And I don't think you need a lot of technical skill to do that, which is why I think looking at whether it's, UGC sort of platforms um, that will provide these tools to people or tools that people might build that exist across different um, different games and, and social realms to, you know, create your own digital goods. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I, I'm just excited to see the whole kind of proliferation of, of creation at every level. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I'm thinking about this a lot now too with, you know, with these different game worlds, because if you compare, let's say, you know, Animal Crossing, Minecraft, and Fortnite, very similar game loops. You know, it's kind of explore this this island or this space. Um, in Fortnite, it's, you know, kill people and then collect loot. Animal Crossing is sort of like, you know, live life, you know, do these various things. Um, and, and also collect, you know, collect various things, uh, collect loot kind of, and, and Minecraft, you know, ha- has, a, has a similar uh, loop as well. But then if you compare the actual, you know, graphics of those things, you know, Minecraft to some people looks, looks you know, 
horrendous. Um, and then you've got, you know, Animal Crossing, a little bit more Nintendo kind of cartoony. And then you've got Fortnite, which isn't, you know, photorealistic, but at least it starts to look a little bit more, you know, on the kind of closer to the human uh, spectrum. And the way that I'm thinking about, like, why a Minecraft, despite its, you know, graphical limitations compared to a Fortnite, like, why, why are all three of those games so popular? Um, and, and like Minecraft in particular, um, we, we have this principle that we operate with at Aglet that we call, uh, well, it's a question. It's like, you know, does your shit stink? Um, and, you know, shit stands for uh, superheroes in training. And that's the idea that if you look at, you know, all, all the great platforms and all the great companies, I think, operate with the correct procedure that we're not the hero of the story, you know, that the, that the consumer or the player is the hero of the story. And actually what your product should be designed to do is it should be a tr it should be this kind of transformational like vector that when you enter this product, you go from Peter Parker to Spider-Man, you know, that it, it should be, yeah. it, sh it, it should transform you into this thing and how you, and so how do you transform? And that's where the stink comes in. So if you look at like the app store, what's, what a stink stink is SDK tools, economy, not, uh, network and knowledge. And if you look at what Apple does, it's like, here's this toolkit, here's, here's your stank. And that is, here's an SDK. In our case, it's a soft, it's a sneaker development kit. Um, so it's, here, here's an SDK with some, you know, all these tools that you'll need. Here's tools, here's Xcode, you know, here's Swift language. Um, here's an economy, uh, you know, you know, we take the, the, the tax, you'll take a tax hit on that, but like, we'll, we'll cover the currency. You get a whole economy on this thing. Here's not, here's a, a network, one point, whatever, billion and a half people, the most desirable people as well, because they, you know, they'll be able to spend more money on our platform in this app stores, but you get access to them uh, and you get knowledge. You get a worldwide developers conference. You get all these great communities of people creating content for you to learn how to do it. But like, if you want to become Peter uh, Spider-Man, here is a toolkit, here's Stank, right? That we give you. And now can you transform and, and do that? And I think that for me, Minecraft and that idea of, you know, uh, cap, capture, capture scarcity and that whole formula that we discussed, I think that's what's great about these games is they create these spaces, these transformational spaces, actually. Like Minecraft is, you can do that. This social space is you create this world and become a Spider-Man because you be kind of become a hero to all these people because you just created the space where we hang out. You know, Fortnite's, you know, I think kind of the same. That's why I, that's why I'm so excited about these spaces. It gives these new creation opportunities, like you said, to really be able to uh, become something through creation, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a natural desire people have to have their, you know, their life feel, significant and exciting and um what these virtual environments can provide is a way that sometimes you know is is much more of an outlet for that than mm -hmm. their kind of real world existence in terms mm -hmm. of the work they do and, and where they're living you know where you hop in and to your point you're like spider-man right solving crime yeah you're frodo you know trying to destroy the ring you're like it puts you in a grander context that you have more control over 
your fate um, mm. and who you are and, and you know, the adventures you go on. And so I think, yeah. um, absolutely. I, I like your, uh, your acronyms. It, it keeps it memorable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, that's uh, yeah, um, exactly. I'm trying to remember them. Yeah. I, I think it's, um, you know, to your point, the, the biggest winners will be platforms that empower people to, yeah. you know, to go be their own heroes. Yeah. And when you, I think when you do have that kind of does your shit stink framework, it also makes it easier to not be a company that's like has a technology and, and sort of desperately looking for consumers to, to use it and like it and sort of looking for a problem to solve because it makes it easier to, to, you know, to use the jobs to be done framework, which is like, all right, what job does a young kid hire Minecraft to do for them or to hire Fortnite to do for them? And I, I think that one of the most underrated platforms right now still believe it or not is like is twitch um because this for me twitch is like the interface of virtual world performance and like enabling real real world performance um so if you imagine like fortnite in a twitchless world would it have been as as impactful because you know if you you and me and then a bunch of you know our friends or whatever are are playing fortnite and you're just destroying everybody, getting victory royale every time, like I'll know about it and maybe two or three other people will know about it, but like who else really knows about that, right? And so now when we go to school or something, again, I know about it and I, maybe I'll tell somebody like, dude, Eric brings the heat in, in Fortnite or something, but like nobody else knows about that. What Twitch did was sort of amplify your uh, in-world performance in this space and sort of make that important so that when I do go to school, now the whole world can know that I'm amazing in this game, you know? And of course that requires that game having significance that your performance in that game will lead to some kind of social capital like in the real world. But I think Twitch is extremely underrated in the fact that it serves as sort of that interface that made your celebrity in-game trickle over into reality and allowed you to, you know, uh, capture some of the value that you do create there in the real world. Yeah, it's a great insight. I, I think it's, um, you know, gaming has historically happened, you know, in in isolation, right? And I yeah. think, it, you know, and, and and to your point, even to appreciate that someone is winning or doing well, you have to not just like the game, you have to be good enough to kind of be playing at their level and actually in yeah. the same game and watching them play. Yeah. Or you know, you're a friend who's over at their house, but otherwise you don't really know what's happening. And I think mm. you know, there are far more people who are who enjoy a game and are bad at it than who enjoy a game and are really good at it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so turning those people into, you know, not just kind of you know the bottom tiers of of competitive players in the game but in terms of actual fans who you know follow better players and root for them um, and try and learn from them it completely mm. changes the dynamics in the game um, yep, yep. and around the game right and allows more people to um, track what's happening yeah um, we can start to wrap up here but one question well two questions that we'll actually end with one question is i like to ask this because you know I, i'm sort of a militant optimist uh, by, by nature. Um, and 
I think the the easy thing to do is, you know, to kind of look around and see all the, you know, the, the shit that's wrong. But one question that people often have difficulty answering is, you know, what are you optimistic about? Um, so what, what are you, what are you optimistic about? Yeah, I'm, uh, I, I'm overall an optimist too. So I, I'm excited about a lot of things. I will say, um, I'm optimistic about, um, the social dynamics that, um, kind of these multiverses will bring about, um, in society in the sense of you know, the flip side of this is I'm deeply, deeply concerned about the incentives, the existing most popular kind of social apps have created in the way humans interact and the way we're kind of coexisting together. Um, and yeah, it really incentivizes sensationalism and conflict. And, um, you know, I think there's a fundamental difference when socializing, you know, mainstream socializing online is happening instead through um, kind of different types of virtual worlds that have their own economy and are centered around you know, the, the platform behind it makes money, not primarily from advertising, but from, you know, it's kind of tax on digital goods, um, people trading with each other, collaborating. Um, I think it creates a very different social dynamic, actually. Mm. That's about, mm. um, it's a lot more collaboration. It's a lot more kind of healthy participation of how do you reach out to more people. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's one where hate and a lot of other sorts of behavior in a quantitative way hurts the economy, hurts people, people's participation, um, and the platforms will try and weed out as opposed mm. to the problem with kind of the biggest social apps right now where it's that actually drives a lot of ad revenue for them. And so there's kind of a, a disincentive. Um, right. So I'm, I'm very optimistic. I think you know, the years ahead in which more and more socializing happens through virtual worlds is much healthier in terms of the ripple effect it has across society um, of, mm. you know, how people interact with each other um, right. and, and, and understand people um, who are different from them and kind of mm -hmm. collaborate. Um, so from that standpoint, I'm, very optimistic. I'm very excited mm, to see it happen. Cool. Yep. And then last question, and we only will wrap up is, um, you know, uh, about what are you, what are you reading these days? What are, uh, are you, are you more of a book guy, eBooks? Are you, uh, you know, articles, not, not so much what kind of media are you reading, but like what, what, what are, what are you, uh, into these days? Like, who are you reading? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I read a lot of nonfiction i've been trying to do more uh more fiction but um let's see what do i got here around me looking at my books um are these just the books that are just hanging out around you or are these the ones that you're actually uh actually reading <laughs> no th yeah. these are the ones that i'm uh i'm actually reading um, okay. let me see i um i guess a lot's on my audible um i have been reading mm. it's it, it's you know more in the nitty gritty details side um, and, and kind of not necessarily the most exciting, but I think this audience might appreciate it. There's from what I've found one textbook on virtual economies and their dynamic. Um, Can I try to guess what it is? Go for it. Is it Edward Castronova's book, virtual economies? Yes, I believe I'm trying to 
know where it disappeared to. Um, I can show you my copy. Yes, it's, it's two authors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where's my copy? Let's see here. Oh, here it is. Oh yeah, it's it is two authors. Sorry, I didn't mean to discount the. Uh, didn't mean to discount the other person. But it's a long Icelandic name. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's been interesting. Is more of a textbook understanding of of um, yeah. all the the fascinating complications of of virtual economies. That's um, where you got the example of the uh, cuckoo coin, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, and then here's his new book, by the way. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Life is a game. It just came out in uh, September. Um, but yeah. And then let's see, there's a, um, a new book by Michael Sandel, the kind of mm. philosophy professor at Harvard, Harvard. Um, called The Tyranny of Merit, which is somewhat unrelated to this whole discussion. I won't mm -hmm. go into a tangent, um, but really interesting breakdown. Um, for people who you know, are, are fascinated by, uh, like I am, the kind of social incentives in our world and, and the dynamics, um, how they've changed in recent years to bring conflict or in other ways bring us together and how we can think about uh, changing those. Mm -hmm. There's actually a really interesting new game that's being developed. Uh, I think the game is called Life Beyond. Um, yeah. Do you know this? Yes, by yeah, uh, the, the Darewise uh, Dare, team in Dare Paris. exactly. That kind of reminds me of, you know, basically what they're trying to do is like, how do you build a game that has a completely different kind of incentive structure around it that there might be some kind of competitive or meritocratic elements there, but it's like a completely different thing, more about sustainability and like collaboration to sustain. Uh, so yeah, cool that you, now you guessed, uh, I guessed the uh, Castronova and now you, you guessed the uh, darewise, so <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I I will say that's something else I'm I'm optimistic about is a whole wave of gaming companies, gaming startups popping up, specifically focused on you know some of them are, are kind of stated as cooperative games, but really focused on the underlying dynamics the game has been designed on to be about collaboration with other people as opposed to um, purely about conflict. I, I think there's a lot of interesting research around you, know, you look at toxic behavior in some of the most popular video games, which has been a big problem, um, you know, for some more so than others, but often it really comes from the way that those games have incentivized certain behavior. Um, and I, I think it's really exciting, you know, to be building games from the ground up, looking at those incentives to say, how can this always be about challenging you to, Kind of collaborate with people um, and overcome those sorts of social challenges rather than just be in conflict with them and always trash talk them. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you see um, these kinds of games, these, these uh, more open, these sort of like newer open world sort of, you know, uh, almost encyclopedic type games, you know, these almost like theories of totality type games um, like a life beyond like a, um, what was the uh, what was the one that came out uh, that was like really hated on at first? Uh, it was like this programmatic. I always forget the name of this. It, it was like kickstarted, and then they raised all this money, and they released it, and everyone like shit on it, and then now it actually got pretty good. What is that called? Where the game the games generated in the background, like as you're 
it's all, it's like this massive infinite world. And like, wherever you mm -hmm. go, like the world is being created in the background, like as you go there. Oh, I'm forgetting. What is that? What is that called? I can't think of the name of that. Whatever. But um, there is kind of a whole wave of these similar to, to life beyond of like seed by playing games. No, um, no man's sky. That's what it's called. No man's sky. Yeah. No man's sky. But like, so these kinds of games, I think improbable, you know, probably, you know, could do something like this as well. But I almost see these as like the new science fiction in a way, like the game space is the new science fiction. If you look at like cyberpunk and then you go kind of like the, the golden age of science fiction where it was much more optimistic and they could play, you could, you could start to, um, you could start to really uh, explore new kinds of social dynamics and incentive structures or whatever. But this is why I like Ian Banks, like the whole culture series that he's one of the few science fiction authors that actually explores a whole new kind of societal structure. Whereas if you look at like Dune and, you know, a lot of the Asimov stuff or whatever, it's basically just like a space opera, but with like the Roman empire, there's like kingdoms yeah. and there's whatever, <laughs> where, where in it, but like, where does science fiction? And then if you look at most cyberpunk, it's kind of the same, right? Some evil corporation that has us all, yeah. you know, manipulated or whatever. And then you've got some hacker guy usually that's sort of figures it out and saves the world. But Ian Banks actually, you know, looked at a completely new kind of societal structure that is, uh, you know, this, this, the, the culture as it's called. And there's a whole whole different kind of incentive structures there. I think Darewise yeah. is doing something like that. I almost feel like games have a really cool opportunity to be the new kind of science fiction to explore those different uh, societal Absolutely. incentives or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I think you know part of this is a chicken and egg problem of can you can you just create a, an open world with kind of a valuable set of incentives and tools and people will come in and and kind of create something exciting there or do you have to first create a popular game and then off of that, you start to offer more flexibility and, and kind of for people to take control, um, which is a bit more of the kind of Fortnite approach perhaps. Mm. But I think um, it, it's really exciting. Look at the games that are starting from the ground up of, you know, a fairly open world where you can do a lot of things and they're providing the core tools for you, you know, whether it's life beyond or, um, you know, I've spent some time digging in, on seed uh, by Clang Games, which mm. hasn't launched yep. yet, um, yeah. But where um, uh, where part of what's built in is the ability to form contracts with other people, right? And and looking at you know kind of from a primitive human standpoint, if you throw a bunch of people onto the same realm where there's scarce resources, the only way really for them all to succeed is to have to collaborate in different ways, right? You it turns into this fascinating experiment of people forming different ways of collaborating, forming different systems of, of government effectively over time yeah. as it grows yeah. to more people by the arrangements they create with each other and say, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'll specialize in farming. If you specialize in, you know, collecting rocks and, and whatever else, and we'll kind of agree to, to run our little community a certain way. I, mm. I think it's, to me, that's so exciting um, as a, uh, you know, kind of a science fiction frontier and realm to experiment yeah, um, I agree. so i can't wait for um more of these games to have their public release yeah no, i agree well that was fun man i appreciate you coming on and uh this was a lot of fun thanks for having yeah. me yeah let's do it uh, definitely uh, do it again 
yeah, hopefully uh, a helpful conversation or, or interesting for everyone listening out there. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, let's do it again. Um, yeah, thanks again, man. And uh, good luck to you in, in the next uh, the venture that you've got going on now. I don't know if you've Thank actually you. shared what that is yet or if you can share it or if you're just kind of slaying low. Not quite low. yet. Okay, all right. <laughs> so no, no exclusive reveal here. Cool. All right, Eric, thanks a lot, man. All right, thank you. All right.